All ye who in future days walk by Nankatusset stream, love not who hummed his lay, cheerful to the parting beam, but the beauty that he wooed in his quiet solitude. Poem of Solitude Rock, carved by Reverend Timothy Payne in 1862. Since the beginning of human history, we have noticed certain areas on this earth that seem to be different and far more mysterious than others. We have created folklore in an attempt to explain the seemingly supernatural events that occur in these strange places. These areas are the home of gods, monsters, ghosts, or portals to another world, and are often considered haunted or even sacred. Tales of disappearances, strange happenings, and even death often accompany these locations. Everyone knows the tale of the Bermuda Triangle, but less know about the arguably stranger Bridgewater Triangle located in southeast Massachusetts. This triangle runs the course in paranormal encounters. Cryptids, ghosts, UFOs, and occult activity have all been experienced on a regular basis in this vortex of the unknown. Join us tonight as we explore the history and mysteries of the Bridgewater Triangle on this episode of Snipe Hunt. Snipe Hunt, your frightening folklore podcast, and I am your host, Darren Young. And I am your host, Gary Clevenstein. Welcome back, hunters. Welcome. And, yeah. Yeah. We strive to bring you the weirdest content we can find, and I think we did that today, Darren. Uh, and I hope the listeners all agree. Are, are you feeling better than last time we recorded? I am. Yeah. You're I'm not, not sick. sick. Not sickly. <laughs> well, not, I'm not sick. I'm, I'm kind of grumpy, but I'm not sick. Uh, so. Are we all? <laughs> well, not me. I had a nap and some caffeine, so I am good to go. Oh, you're you're ready to rock. Yes. I see. I re- I'm driving my daughter's car, so uh, I, all the way up here, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna stop and get a drink. Yeah. You know, kind of like you did with the Seven Brew or whatever. You know, stop and get a coffee at the drive-through, and I'm like, no, because if you saw me in this car, it's embarrassing. <laughs> it's emba- it's, that it's, bad? It, it's that bad. Yeah. It's a, it's a very small car, and I'm a very large <laughs> man. So, yeah. Uh, you know, got the sunroof open, hair poking out the sunroof, stuff like that, you know. The breeze through your luscious looks. Yes, yes. Actually sounds like a pretty good time. You want, you <laughs> yeah, go for a until later? you go to the drive-thru and you're like, you feel like you're on the ground and you're looking up at them and they're looking down. Can you this, reach me? This jello on the front seat there. of the car. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's do some reviews. Uh, somehow we missed this one in our last episode, but it's okay because we're reading it today. Oh. Specifically, your reading. Yeah, you're right. Oh, you're right. I was just, I was like, I was gonna say, oh, well, Don, Don eleven sixty five says, okay, I listened to a few podcasts. This one was recommended by a friend. I was like, okay, like I need one more to listen to, anyways. Why not? I totally ad libbed that. Yeah, it's all right. It's all right. It's pretty much the same thing. Well, I have been listening for the past five hours because I don't want to stop listening. Very cool and interesting, and the guys bounce off each other. So if you are looking for an inter- interesting and fun podcast, you will not be disappointed. I never saw this one. I know. Me neither. And I Where think was it, it? I'm pretty sure it happened before our last... Uh, it was on iTunes. I'm pretty was sure it? it happened before our last episode, but I don't know. Maybe maybe it was like the day of. Huh. Um, well, Don, thanks for giving us a chance, and we're happy that you enjoy the show. Interesting and fun, exactly what we're striving to be, so that's awesome. Thank you for leaving a review, and thank you, Don's friend, for recommending the show. Yes. Uh, yes, thank you, Don's best friend. Way, best way to grow is just tell people about it. <laughs> um, we did also get another five-star rating, but without a comment. So, anonymous person, thank you for the five stars. You're so much better than the yeah, anonymous I'll, person I'll who, take left the, that. who left the one star. <laughs> take that over um, the ones. Like I said, telling your friends about the podcast and leaving reviews is literally the best way for us to grow, so we really appreciate it. All right, so let's get started. This episode is a big one. It is. I, I'm it thinking is. this might be our longest episode. Yeah, I was yet. scrolling. I was scrolling down. I'm like, God, <laughs> it God. doesn't end. Like, Go figure. There's just so much Google. weirdness packed <laughs> into one episode. So, what is the Bridgewater Triangle? What is it? Tell us about it. 
The Bridgewater Triangle refers to an area of about 200 square miles within southeastern Massachusetts in the United States, and it is claimed to be an area of frequent paranormal activity. It gets its name from the town of Bridgewater located in, in the area, and the three points of the triangle are marked by the towns of Abington, Rehoboth. Yeah, I think it's Rehoboth. Rehoboth. If you're from Rehoboth, then uh, just... And we're pronouncing it wrong. Just Rehibeth. email us. Tell us how it's pronounced. And Freetown. The Bridgewater Triangle was originally defined by famous cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman in his book, Mysterious America. There are many landmarks within the triangle that play host to the alleged paranormal activity. This includes Hockomock Swamp, Dighton Rock, Freetown Fall River State Forest, Profile Rock, and Solitude Stone. I like that name. Solitude Stone. Yeah, yeah that like poem that. that I read at the very beginning is actually what was carved into Solitude Stone. Oh, yeah, nice. Hence the name. Um, now, if you don't know who Lauren Coleman is, he is a very famous cryptozoologist who has contributed much to the study of paranormal phenomena. He is much respected within his field, and he has written a ton of books and has taught at several universities. Now, like all authors in this field, I don't agree with all of his theories, but he is a great source because he certainly does his homework. Uh, now let's put this area into context by learning a little bit about the history of southeastern Massachusetts as it's related to the strange activity in the Triangle. Yay. Yeah. Hey, this, this, uh, this Coleman person, he's not like no Alex Jones, is he? <laughs> no, no. no, he is not. <laughs> the not ghosts were sent here by the government. <laughs> and the... I'm not going to do the no, frogs gang because we did that way too much in the interdimensional big I was really hoping you would have yeah, yeah. that, but no. They put chemicals in the water that turned the freaking frogs gay. <laughs> you know what? No, no, I'm, I'm so going to say, I want to correct that, though. That. Like, Alec Jones he comes off as a wackadoodle, but some of his points are. But, but deep, deep. Put down, interesting. He's still a wackadoodle. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's actually not a wackadoodle. He just likes to exploit wackadoodles for money. Now, anyway. He's like, here's what the problem is. But don't worry. If you go to my website, I have the exact solution for the problem for nine easy payments and nine ninety nine. I've never went that far. <laughs> exactly. Um, so anyway, uh, Southeast Massachusetts history lesson. Um, crap. What was I saying? Uh, uh, a little disclaimer. Uh, we'll be using some American Indian words in this episode and are most likely going to mispronounce all of them. All the time. All the time. That's just to us. be expected. That's just who we are as people. Uh, here it goes. The main event we are concerned with today is King Philip's War, a.k.a. Metacom's War, a.k.a. Metacomet's War, a.k.a. The Great Narangeset War, a.k.a. Pometacomet's Rebellion, a.k.a. Metacom's Rebellion. Hmm. I, I guess they couldn't decide on a name. They just pick one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> here's a very brief description. The conflict is named after Chief Metacomet, who is also known by his adopted English name, King Philip. We'll just call him Metacomet because it sounds the coolest. Uh, Metacomet became the chief of the... Oh man, I meant, to, I meant to look for a pronunciation guy for this. Wampanoag. Wampanoag tribe in 1662 after his father's death. And during his time, relations between the natives and the colonists became strained. Three of Metacomet's warriors were found guilty of murder of a Christian Native American interpreter and were hanged. This action, as well as other various griefs, resulted in both native and uh, colonial raiding parties attacking each other and eventually led to an all-out war. Dun-dun-dun. Chief Metacomet led the effort to drive out the colonists and various tribes joined his cause, while other tribes fought on the side of the colonists. This war became the deadliest conflict of that time in New England, with more than 2,500 colonial casualties and at least twice as many native casualties. Uh, the fighting lasted for over a year and destroyed 12 frontier towns, ending shortly after Metacom was captured and executed. This kind of like sounds like the, the story of Napoleon. Oh, yeah? Kind of. I yeah. mean, that's what I mean, basically. Bloody conflicts? Bloody conflicts. Following, get people to join your cause. And oh, yeah. I get, wreak havoc. Good, good saying, yeah. Take stuff. <laughs> Burn stuff. <laughs> this war occurred in many states throughout New England, including, of course, here's the kicker. Southeast Massachusetts. <gasps> that brings us out of tonight's brief history lesson. Lesson. Yeah. So let's talk about what exactly is occurring within the Bridgewater Triangle. 
while we are on the subject of King Philip's War, let's talk about Anawan Rock and Profile Rock. I love talking about rocks. I do too. Reminds me of my abs. <laughs> rock hard. Yeah. <laughs> rock hard. <laughs> Anawan Rock is a large dome of conglomerate rock located in, here it is again, Rehoboth, Massachusetts. And if you don't know what conglomerate rock is, it's basically just uh, like rocks like held together with a bunch of like concrete-esque stuff. Mm. It's a bunch of small rocks made into one big rock. Oh, I got you. After the, after the, after the defeat of Metacomet, the war chief of the Pocaset tribe knew that they would come for him next, and so chose the rock as the site to camp and make his last stand. He was tracked down by Captain Benjamin Church of Plymouth Colony, and he surrendered after Church promised not to kill Anawan. Of course, Church broke this promise, and Anawan was promptly executed. Dirty. Dirty, dirty Church. Dirty, dirty. Here is a description of activity from newenglandfolklore.blogspot.com. Very reputable site. Yes. Is it really? Yeah. It's not. It's not yeah. as bad. Legit. <laughs> as some sites I've been to. So legit. Yeah. For the for the podcast research, let me give let the me credit where it's due, though. Right. Yes, absolutely. With such a tragic history, it's not surprising Anawan Rock is now considered to be haunted. Phantom campfires have been seen, and voices are sometimes heard in the woods crying out. Lutash. Was it would that be a Lutash? <laughs> Probably not. That's you know, I think it's more meant well, yeah. what it says. You know. Which means fight on. Oh Lutash yeah. Okay, yeah, I gotcha. Like gotcha. Okay. Like fight on. In the local Algonquin dialect. Strange screams and shouts can also be heard in the rock's vicinity. And these aren't old ghost stories from the seventeen hundred or eighteen hundreds. Paranormal researchers claimed that these phenomena, phenomena, is it phenomena or phenomena? Uh, I didn't write this part, so. Uh, paranormal researchers claim these phenomena are still happening today. Uh, another rock formation important to the natives of the region is Profile Rock. It is a huge granite formation that resembles the profile of a human face. Uh, local members of the Wampanoag tribe believe it to be the image of Chief Massasoit, the father of Metacomet. Anawan allegedly retrieved a lost wampum belt on the site. What is a wampum belt, you may ask? I have no idea. Well, Gary, I'll tell you. <laughs> tell me! <laughs> a wampum belt is a belt made out of shell beads and were significant to the native peoples and were used for storytelling, ceremonial gifts, and the recording of important historical events. So it was like big, broad belts that had like little pictures on them that told a story. Hmm. Actually, pretty cool looking. Hmm. Uh, you should Google image search. Make belt me if one. If you get the chance. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll make you one. It is said that native peoples used to perform ceremonial dances on the rock. Uh, visitors to the rock have claimed to see a ghostly male figure sitting on the rock. All right, let's move on to the most famous location of the triangle. And possibly the nucleus from which the weirdness spreads, the Huckamuck Swamp. Mm. And it's the most fun name out of all the locations within the Bridgewater Triangle, Huckamuck. The swamp is an important area to the Wampanoag people. They use it as a fortress of sorts to protect themselves against the invasion of early English settlers, as the swamp was extremely difficult to traverse for those who were unfamiliar with it. It was also used as a base of operations by Metacomet during King Philip's War. The name Hockamock, uh, besides being fun to say, is an Algonquian term that means the place where spirits dwell. Uh, the natives had their own deity of death and disease called Hockamock or Hobamock <laughs> or Hobomock. Hobo. Uh, who called him Hobo for short. Um, who was comprised of the souls of the dead and was known to congregate in places like the swamp. Uh, the swamp served the Wampanoag peoples as a hunting ground, as well as a burial ground for their dead. I bet this place smelled lovely. I, I bet it did, but uh, I, I think they have a pretty sweet deity of death and yeah. disease. <laughs> this is Hockamock. He is comprised of the souls of the dead. <laughs> I was like, that's metal. Ew, is that a finger? <laughs> uh, the souls, not the body parts. Oh, um, the swamp's most famous resident is a large, fearsome green ogre with a Scottish accent and a donkey companion. 
Huh. It's definitely not Shrek. Huh. I'm just kidding. I added that past part in. It is Shrek. <laughs> Get out of my swamp. I, is it I, the I'm same gonna... swamp? Or is it just a joke? <laughs> yes, it's the same swamp. Oh. It's a joke. Oh, it's just a joke. Okay. <laughs> Gary, I'm sitting there describing Shrek. He's like, oh. It's yeah, I know. <laughs> I was like, was that really the, the swamp that it was based on? Got him. The following are stories of alleged encounters in the Hockamock Swamp, as reported in the Boston Globe in 2005 in the article, Tales from the Swamp. Joe DeAndrade thinks that... It is DeAndre. I think the last DeAndre? Yeah. Because silent? I, I, think, I think I heard it in the documentary I watched, but anyway. Joe DeAndre, De, Joe DeAndre thinks the swamp may be the habitat of a creature yet to be identified. In 1978, DeAndre, then 24, was standing on the shore of Clay Banks, a pond in Bridgewater near the swamp. His back was to the water. I was standing there. <laughs> I gotta do that voice for everybody. <laughs> I was standing there. For some reason, I had to turn around. DeAndre says, It was a chill or something inside me. And turned around, and there, off to the right, maybe 200 yards away, there was this, well, I, I don't know what it was. It was a, a creature that was all brown and hairy, like a big apish and man thing. It was giving me googly eyes and winking at me. <laughs> that's a different episode. Yeah, that's a, it, was, it was making its way for the woods, but I didn't stick around to watch where it was going. I ran for the street. Uh, now, Joe, uh, if you're listening, we're not making fun of you. That's just the voice He's that Gary listening. does. He could be. This guy is actually real, unlike the guy from the Melonheads. Oh, okay. Which could be real, but I, I'm just assuming. But He has never figured out what it was he saw. Not long after his encounter, the Bridgewater residents organized expeditions in search of the Bigfoot-like creature. Equipped with cameras and rifles, the searchers trekked deep into the Hockamock Swamp two or three times. They found not a trace of the beast. Not a trace. My son would be like, Dad, I want to go home. My feet hurt. <laughs> your, your son says that at Walmart. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> About five years after DeAndre saw his creature, another local resident reported seeing something similar. John Baker, a veteran fur trapper, was... I didn't know fur trappers still existed. I mean, I guess that makes sense, but whenever I think fur trapper, I just think like old Frenchmen from the 1700s. They're like the westerns with the you take your pelts and stuff. Yeah, I think it pretty much like uh, who was it? Who's the guy with the raccoon hat? Davy Crockett. Davy Crockett. I was thinking, I was thinking David Bowie. I was, like, <laughs> I was like, that's not right. Ground control to Major Tom. I'll buy your fur. <laughs> Uh, John Baker, a veteran fur trapper, was about a mile from his West Bridgewater home on a canoe in a river in the swamp. I totally confused myself. He was, a, he was about a mile from his West Side Bridgewater home on a canoe in a river in the swamp. Yeah. Laying muskrat lines on a winter night. As you do when you're a fur trapper. Uh, paddling along in the quiet. Baker heard a loud crash and rumble of an animal in the nearby woods. Frozen with fear, he saw a large hairy beast slog into the river and pass within a few yards. Here we go. I knew it wasn't human. <laughs> I knew it wasn't human because when it passed by me, I could smell it. What it smelled like? It must have farted on me. Crop dusted me. It smelled like a skunk. Musty and dirty. I believe it. <laughs> Baker, who died in 2001, always... Well, we know he ain't listening. <laughs> you never know, Gary. You never know. Uh, R.I.P. Can we get an F in the chat? Baker, who died in 2001, always maintained that he could not identify what he saw but that in his more than 30 years of trapping in the swamp, he never saw such a thing before or since. Going back to the early 1900s, there have been several reported sightings of UFOs in the vicinity of the swamp. On Halloween night in 1908, two undertakers on their way from West Bridgewater to Bridgewater, West Bridgewater to Bridgewater. Yeah, two different towns. It was like a, 
like uh, like Little Rock and North Little Rock. Oh, okay. so it's not South Little Rock or. Okay. Hmm. Uh, they said that they saw in the sky what looked like a giant lantern, and they watched it hover for nearly 40 minutes. Swirling lights have also been seen above the swamp near the Rainham Tauntaun Greyhound Park. <laughs> I think it's Tauntaun. Tauntaun? Tauntaun is the thing from Star Wars that <laughs> Han cut open to stuff Luke inside of. Oh, okay. Area resident Courtney Colon says she saw what she believes was a UFO in the summer of 1999 while at a cookout in Bridgewater near Lake Nippinicket. Nippinicket. <laughs> a good portion of which is on the Hockamock Swamp. Certainly, there was noise. Wicked loud, Colin recalls. And next, there were lights in the sky. No color, but just bright lights. They were descending fast, like coming straight at the house behind where we were at the cookout. And just as it seemed that the lights were going to crash into the house, they darted sideways at this unbelievable speed, and soon they just disappeared. But what I also remember is that soon after we saw the lights, more than one helicopter appeared in the sky in the area of where the lights were. Is that what a woman sounds like? Yeah, I was trying to, you know. <laughs> Once again, we're not making fun of anyone. No. <laughs> but Gary does read better when he Darren does Darren likes voices. inflection. It's true. And so yeah. I'm trying to do inflection yeah. here. We're, we're keeping it live. I mean, I was going to just... Suddenly there was noise, but it was a woman talking, so I had to... <laughs> so far, uh, at least with these stories, people have encountered two different encounters of a... I said Bigfoot-like creature. Uh-huh. But if something's Bigfoot-like, then it's pretty much just Bigfoot, right? Right. Right. So I don't know. I don't know. That's like saying I'm a human-like creature, <laughs> a.k.a. a human. Um, so we got two of those, and then we got a couple of UFO encounters. Um, mm-hmm. And I would like to point out that she noticed there were helicopters afterwards. So she could identify a helicopter in the right. sky from the same spot where she was at. Mm-hmm. So. So the lights before were most likely not helpful. Now, my geography isn't the best. Right. Okay. Where is Massachusetts in correspondence with Nevada? Extremely far away. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Massachusetts is here. Nevada is here. Ah, I got you. Okay. All the states in between. Yeah. Nevada is like one of the most westernmost states, and Massachusetts is one of the most eastern states. Yeah, okay. So. Okay. So my my Area 51 <laughs> no, conspiracy. I knew what you were trying to do. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to work. All right. Let's see. But not only are there UFOs in the skies of the triangle, but also gigantic birds. Baka. And that's the exact sound they make. Mm. Um, here's an excerpt from Mysterious America by Lauren Coleman. I like to point out that I bought this book, by the way. Oh, did you? Kindle edition, but I bought it. You, you've been reading it? Yeah. I'd rather <laughs> listen to the Audible version. If there, if there is an Audible Yeah, I, try, I tried an uh, audio book once. Didn't really work out, which is weird because I listen to podcasts and I love those. But yeah, I, I prefer to hear somebody read. I mean, it depends on the person reading. Right, right. But anyway, uh, Serious America by Lauren Coleman. The most dramatic sighting of one of these huge birds took place at 2 a.m. on a late summer's night in 1971. Norton Police Sergeant Thomas Downey was driving along Winter Hill and Mansfield towards his home in the Easton. As he approached a place known as Bird Hill, how appropriate, in Easton at the edge of the swamp, he was suddenly confronted by a tremendous winged creature over six feet tall with a wingspan of eight to twelve feet. As Sergeant Downey drew to a stop in the intersection, the bird flew straight up and flapping its massive wings disappeared over the dark trees into the swamp. Downey reported the sighting to the Easton police and as soon as he reached home, a patrol car searched the area, but the huge bird was not sighted again. For weeks after, the policeman with the feathery... For weeks after, this policeman with the feathery name... Oh, Downey. <laughs> I get it. He was trying to make a joke. <laughs> um, was teased by his fellow officers who called him the Birdman. Creative. Hmm. Uh, Downey stuck to his story. So I do want to point out that he is a police officer. So he is what we would call a trained observer. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a very kind of like vague term. But it's basically he's not your average run of the mill hillbilly 
You're just going to look up in the sky and see something he doesn't understand and immediately write it off as something. This guy's a police officer. I'm sure he's seen some stuff. He's been trained to pick out details. Or maybe he's just a good actor. Maybe. But i also like to point out that he reported this. He, a police officer, reported a giant bird to his fellow police officers, knowing it would probably bring ridicule. Was he wearing his Iron Man suit? Yes. No. Downey. Did you just get it when I was on? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, so he took it seriously. He wouldn't have reported this if he didn't take it seriously. Right. Um, let's see. And also, tying this sighting into folklore, Thunderbirds are giant birds that are prevalent throughout the mythology of Native Americans from all over the country, including tribes of Massachusetts. Uh, Thunderbirds are giant birds that appear in storms, and it is said that the flap of their large wings create thunder. It is weird how all of our episodes have kind of came together here yes. and there. Yeah, they all tie together. Because yeah. it's all connected, man. Yeah. All this is part of the same thing, It's so man. strange, man. It makes my... It does my head in, man. It makes me think. <laughs> man, I'm telling you, man. You need to pass me the mushrooms right now. No, man. <laughs> I'm making butter. <laughs> Other strange creatures are seen in the area, such as giant snakes. In 1939, Civilian Conservation Corps members reported seeing a giant snake near the swamp as large around, as large around and black as a stove pipe. That's a quote. I didn't write that. No, it's not. Local legend says that these giant black snakes appear every seven years. Um, another creature sighting took place in the area in the form of large cats, as Lauren Coleman explains in his book. Great cats, lions, or phantom panthers, ultimate quotes, uh, have been sighted regularly in places throughout the Bridgewater Triangle. In 1972, in Rehoboth, Massachusetts, a lion hunt was organized by local police. Residents of the area have been terrorized by what they, by what they said was a large cat or mountain lion. Uh, cattle and sheep in the area had been mysteriously killed, and carcasses were discovered raked with claw marks. Police took casts of the animal's tracks and used dogs and a helicopter in an attempt to track it down. Nothing was caught. But similar incidents involving fandom cats have occurred in other places throughout the Bridgewater Triangle, and across the nation. None of these mysterious felines have yet been captured. In 1993, a series of reports of a, quote, large, light tan cat the size of a Great Dane, labeled the Mansfield Mystery Cat, issued from the area. Local officials took the sighting very seriously, especially after Fire Chief Edward Sliney had a mystery felid encounter of his own. Uh, so I'd like to point out that these sightings could very well be mountain lions, especially the color yeah, and people say, describe like, as mountain like, lions. This sounds like something that happens. But oh, yeah. mountain lions are not native to the area. Mm. Um, like, by a long shot. They're more west now. Somebody um, brought them over as a pet? Yeah, yeah. Didn't want it? One, it is it. very possible that someone could be keeping one illegally and uh, release it. Also, I told you about when me and Susan saw a mountain lion when we were driving from her parents, right? Uh -uh. So mountain lions in Northwest Arkansas, where we are, they're not quote native. Well, they're not prevalent, but they're not native, but right. they do wander over here. Mm -hmm. So me and Susan were driving home from her parents one night over like on the edge of Fayetteville. They live in Farmington. Right. And sure enough, big old mountain lion comes out in front of us right in the middle of the road, stops, looks at us and bounces off. How big was it? Full size. Oh, full size mountain lion. Oh, fully never... grown. And I've only like, seen smaller ones. And this is right in the middle of a residential area. This isn't like out in the <laughs> woods. This is like, here's a field, here's a field, and then houses peppered all throughout. Even a couple wow. like suburban neighborhoods. Like very popular area. I was like, everybody, hide your pets. Wow. There is a full yeah. mountain lion for it's some reason me. here in this part of Arkansas. So what else has been sighted in, in the area of the Bridgewater Triangle, Gary? Uh, <laughs> UFOs. Yeah. Well, you, you don't have to... Think out the top of your head. You have a oh. little part. Oh, do I? For you. Yeah. Where? In oh. the blue. Oh, I was going to ask if we can do an alien big cat episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We That actually was requested, and we will do you one. You throw alien in front of anything. It's, like, intriguing. Well, alien just means it's not native to the area. It doesn't mean, like, it came from outer space. Oh. Yeah, I know. Never it's mind. sad. Still interesting, <laughs> but sad. 
Well, I just so happened to uh, have this newspaper from 1976. Oh, yeah? Just with you? Where's the paper? <laughs> <I'm trying> to... <laughs> Don't worry. I'll, I'll insert uh, oh, okay. newspaper. Noise. Okay. Here. okay, good. Okay, good. All right. <laughs> uh, it's from the Boston Globe. Yeah. Kane was awakened at 7 a.m. by his 12-year-old daughter, Carol, who said that one of her two ponies both tethered to a tree in the backyard, appeared dead. Half awake and half dressed, Kane stumbled outside and was startled to see the two ponies, their halters in a tangle, lying on their sides. Their throats had been ripped out. The dog, a large black and brown animal, perhaps half German Shepherd and half Doberman, was hovering over one of those carcasses, eating. The dog looked huge to Kane. Perhaps it was his own fight, he said later. Right. His own fright. Okay. Hey, uh, your Outlook account settings are out of date. Shut up, Windows. We're trying to do a <laughs> podcast here. Perhaps it was uh, his own fright, he said later, which made the animal appear as big as the dead Shetland ponies. Kane chased the dog away, first with a baseball bat, and then, when it returned, with a pistol shot that missed. The animal ran into the adjoining thicket and swamp and was not seen again. Uh, so this encounter was followed by kind of a panic. Uh, hundreds of calls came into the police. Children were kept inside for recess, and many residents armed themselves with guns. The American way. Yeah. The last time the creature was spotted was by police officer Frank Coran, who fired at the creature and, like Kane before, missed. So what we know now... Yes. Is there needs to be more training facilities for gun owners for firing practice? Absolutely. Or, Gary, did they not miss, but did the bullet just phase through the alleged animal? I'm making the mind blown. Phantom black dogs. The dog then walked away slowly in the other direction and wasn't seen again. All right, so first of all, I want to, I want to, I'm going to give some kudos to Kane. Um, huge, monstrous dog killed two full size Shetland ponies, and he came after it with a baseball bat. Uh, yeah. The huevos on this man. Yeah, he carried him in a wheelbarrow. Me. Yeah, yeah, beyond me. Like I said earlier, it does seem reminiscent of the giant phantom black dogs I talked about in that mini-sode. Uh-huh. Um, Kind of terrifying, though. Two ponies. Not just one. It killed both of them. And then reason. didn't... Well, I guess he was eating it. He got His meal got interrupted. Yeah. And it's funny because they're using colorful language saying it hovered over the corpses and I'm just imagining it like floating. Yeah. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Yet another incident with a strange creature happened in the swamp to local resident Bill Russo. Here's an excerpt from Russo's book appropriately titled The Creature from Bridgewater Triangle. I heard what frightened my dog. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's my turn. Yeah, you go it's ahead. Yeah, you read. <laughs> uh, I heard what frightened my dog, Sam, before I saw it. Ewachu. Ewachu. Kier. Kier. Ewachu. An eerie call floated to my ears in the still night. Ewachu. 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 Pika, pika. Kier, kier. <laughs> The unearthly high-pitched voice was louder and closer. There was a street lamp about 20 feet in front of me, and it cast a bluish circle of light onto the pavement. Into the circle walked a hairy creature about 3 to 4 feet tall, which weighed probably 100 pounds. Are you annoyed with me yet? (laughs) I feel like he could have shortened that. Yeah. It repeated over and over again. The creature stood very straight on two feet and looked at me with eyes that were too large for its head, like the eyes of an owl. Sammy and I were frozen as we watched the hairy thing. It did not advance further. It did not appear to be threatening us, but we were still scared. Sam did not bark, nor whine. She trembled slightly and kept looking to me as if to say, What is it? The creature kept talking and began motioning with its arms. It wore no clothes 
and was completely covered with coarse, unkept hair that was about five or six inches long. It seemed to have a pot belly, and it looked to be in the young stages of old age. I know what you meant by that, but young stages of old age is kind of... Sounds like me. Kind of contradictory. I'm in the young stage of old... <laughs> yeah. I'm in the younger stages of old age. Yeah. And that was actually me. <laughs> I had just taken a long-ass hike. And I was exhausted. He was. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, got, he <laughs> The image in my head is great. Gary cracks himself up. Oh, okay, Time sorry. Up. I'm hilarious. We stood watching the thing for not more than a minute, but it felt like hours. It kept speaking to us, but made no further movement toward us. I summoned enough courage to ask it a few questions, but got no answer other than... Iwachu. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it repeated again and again. Frightened, Sam and I turned and went home as fast as we could. Uh, later, Bill analyzed his encounter and came to the conclusion that the creature was actually speaking English, but not very well. Yeah. Uh, his best guess at the translation was, we want you. We want you. Come here. Come here. Iwachu. Iwachu. Kir. Kir. But we don't know if he was speaking English. That's, that's just his guess. If this was the case, he did not know why they wanted them or, or his dog for. Uh, this is definitely one of the strangest encounters I've heard of. Uh, one theory states that this might be a Sasquatch, either a young one or a small variation. Although Russo mentioned that it looked like it was aged, so a young, quote, little foot is probably out of the question. Weird. Hmm. Right? Right? Yeah. I think we can all agree. Mm -hmm. It's pretty weird. And who else thought of uh, the land before time when you said little foot? Uh, I did. Mm -hmm. And I immediately got sad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Because of that sad part of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> that was 30 it's movies bad. ago. It's bad. It's such a good movie. That was 30 movies ago. Yeah, it was such a good movie. Yeah, but the first one was always the best. Yeah, it was. The first one was great. It's such a good movie, but that's like the one thing I remember from it. It's kind of like The Lion King. That's what you take away from yeah, The Lion King. Sure. You know. Are you excited for the live action remake that they're cashing in on? Uh, I'm a lot more excited about it than I was Aladdin. But yeah. I heard Aladdin's actually pretty good. Oh, yeah. Me, me and Susan watched it. It was actually really good. It Was it really good? Oh, yeah. Hmm. They did a really good job. Uh, I don't know. I'm kind of skeptical, but nah, I heard I don't it's great. It's not like an amazing movie, mm -hmm. but it's definitely a fun one. Right. Definitely worth watching. The theory that Russo himself subscribes to is that the creature was, in fact, a Pukwudgie. Yes. So what is a Pukwudgie exactly? Tell us. Pukwudgie is an Algonquian term that translates to little wild man of the woods and describes a race of small goblin-like creatures that live in the forest. These creatures are prevalent in the folklore of several different Native American tribes, especially the Wampanoag people of New England. Puckwudgies are said to look like small humans, but with enlarged noses, 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 fingers, and ears. They are tricksters. Known for disappearing magically, playing nasty tricks, and for luring people to their death. The, another thing about Pukwudgie is that they have, like, smooth gray skin, so that doesn't really match up. But um, some descriptions include that they are like have, like, porcupine spines out of their back, so maybe that was actually a hair. I don't know. It's fun, it's, fun to, it's fun to think that's what it was. I want to know who comes up with the names. That's that's really what I want to know. Well, Pukwudgie is Algonquian, so. Yeah, I know. So a bunch, bunch of uh, Native American names in here. We got Huckamock. We got Pukwudgie. We got Wampanoag. Fun to say, though. All of them yeah, are fun to true. say. That's true. Uh, and the documentary I watched uh, featured a, which, which is called the Bridgewater Triangle, which is the, doc, that's the documentary I watched. Uh Feature footage of a lady named Maureen Woods from New England Ghost Project, apparently being possessed by a puckwudgie. Uh, all that happened, though, was Maureen hissing like a maniac and being tackled by the other members of the team. So I, w I was just laughing when I saw it. I read it as tickled. Yeah. <laughs> she was tickled she was being by tickled. other members of the team. Yeah. <laughs> Get out of there, yeah. puckwudgie. <laughs> tickle, tickle, tickle. Stop it, it hurts. <laughs> Uh, in fact, actually, I have the audio. Let's listen to it right now. The following clip features a woman named Maureen struggling with what some investigators claim was possession at the hands of a Pukwudgie. Maureen. Push him up. Ron, you're still connected here. Ron, 
Watch her going back yeah. too far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maureen? Come on, Maureen, fight him. Oh, come on, Maureen. Don't let her go back too far, Ron. Don't let her get in the water. Yeah. Maureen. 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 According to camera operator Andrew Lake, a strange light was later seen in the distance as Maureen recovered from the alleged attack. Oh, that was kind of creepy. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of creepy. I was, I was thinking it was just going to be some little... <laughs> no. <laughs> She's little... Maureen. Yeah, sounds like I'm calling my cat. Maxine. <laughs> Maxine. <laughs> Maureen. Stop it, damn it. You're scaring me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that all that wrestling of her was they're literally tackling her. It took like three people to hold... She was like holding her down. She's like... <laughs> it was great. It was, it was good stuff, let me tell you. Was there video? There was video. Yeah, of it? so there was video of it, oh, but okay. obviously you can't oh, video in yeah. the podcast, so we just have the audio. Uh, all right, so let's move on from the Hockamock Swamp. So another area of the Bridgewater Triangle that is less famous than Hockamock Swamp, but is far more sinister, is the Freetown Fall River State Forest. Mouthful of a name. Uh, most people just call it the Freetown State Forest. This area is said to have a dark energy. And has been the site of several murders and alleged satanic cult activity. I would like to point out before we go any further that actual satanic organizations like the Church of Satan and the Temple of Set condemn animal sacrifice and criminal activity in the name of Satan. So I just want to point that out. So evidence of animal sacrifice was routinely discovered within the state forest. Starting from smaller animals like birds, but they eventually escalated to larger animals like cows. The headless body of a full-grown cow was discovered in the forest in 1998, and this was preceded by the remains of 12 calves that were slaughtered on the same spot. It's a whole lot of work. Just a few weeks earlier, the carcasses were drained of all blood, and it was determined that this blood was collected for later use in occult rituals. Gotta get your cow blood. I love cow blood. It's, it's the best. I, I honestly have all the bloods I've had. Cow blood is easily my favorite. You know, right right next to human, obviously, but that just goes without saying. Uh, in October 1979, in the town of Fall River, the body of 17-year-old Doreen Levesque was found behind some bleachers at the local high school. Her wrists had been bound with fishing line, and there were signs of sexual torture and that she had been stabbed and bludgeoned to death, which resulted in multiple skull fractures. It was discovered that Doreen had been employing herself as a prostitute, so police initially suspected a client of committing the murder. That is until the medical examiner concluded that the killing was perpetrated by multiple people and that there was there seemed to have been a ritual nature to the slaying. Death by stoning was suggested. Which is, that's when you throw a bunch of rocks at one person until mm. they're dead. I would like to point out that in biblical times this was used to kill... Uh, Pretty much everybody. Uh, adulteresses. Yes. So, similar to a prostitute, I guess. One month later, the remains of another prostitute, Barbara Raposa, was discovered in the woods behind a local printing plant. Like Levesque, Raposa's hands were bound and her skull was crushed. It was discovered by Fall River Police that a local prostitution ring was also participating in satanic rituals in the Freetown State Forest and in a local apartment building. Uh, the police went undercover and attended one of these rituals in the apartment building. This ritual consisted of mostly of chanting, and hailing Satan. Hail Satan! Hail Satan! Hail Satan! The rites were being led by 17-year-old pimp and prostitute Robin Murphy. I didn't know you could be both, but the more you know. Uh, and 25-year-old pimp Carl Drew. Local prostitute... That is not a pimp name. <laughs> that probably wasn't. Imagine his real name was like something exotic, and yeah. he's like, but what's your pimp name? It's Carl. Yeah. Carl <laughs> Drew. <laughs> What's your actual name? It's Dante Ferrari. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for asking. Local prostitute Karen Marsden claimed that Robin Murphy and Carl Drew had ritualistically 
murder Doreen Levesque and Barbara Raposa. Karen Marsden then disappeared and was her later her remains was discovered months later amongst cat skulls and sheep bones. Ooh. Creepy. Uh, eventually, Robin Murphy and Carl Drew were arrested for connection to the murders. Murphy pleaded guilty to second-degree murder of Karen Marsden and testified against Carl Drew. Drew was eventually convicted to murder of the first degree of Karen Marsden and was sentenced to life in prison. Although the physical evidence seemed to point at least that the first two murders were ritualistic in nature, it has never been confirmed that the killings were actually human sacrifices. Another fun fact. To this day in the United States, there has never been one documented case of an actual human sacrifice to Satan. Which is kind of surprising considering the satanic You know with the Charles Manson stuff? That wasn't, it wasn't to Satan. Sacrifice? No. Oh. I mean, it was probably a sacrifice, but not to Satan. Mm. It was his helter, skelter, crazy. Well, uh, Charles Manson believed that there was going to be a huge race war and that the blacks were going to win because they were physically superior. No. <laughs> so he wanted to hide out in a bunker until it was all over and come out as a white messiah. Uh. Yep. That's that's Charles Manson for you. Oh. Um, <laughs> speaking of uh, famous murderers, the most famous murder in the area goes to the notorious Lizzie Borden, who brutally murdered her father and stepmother with an axe in 1892. She was the OG axe murderer. Um, some people m- might say that the dark energy of the area compelled her to commit the homicides. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I, I've actually heard of her. Yes, yeah. I mean, um, just recently had a movie about her. So that, so that was sort of more of a true crime side to the Bridgewater Triangle, but it's tying to the supposed dark energy of the area and that these uh, murders were allegedly done well, it's kind of like the name the, of Satan. You know, the full moon. Yeah. The, you know. Like more violent crimes are, are committed under a full moon yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. I think that's just because it's easier to see outside. But. Yeah. <laughs> now we're going to talk about hauntings. Ooh. God, this place has everything, doesn't it? Uh, I think I somebody mentioned that, though, didn't it? Oh, well, to a certain extent. I mean, yeah. that was more of a Native, America, Native American lore kind of thing, but this is right. actual, like, this is more of the classic hauntings as we know it. The, the Bridgewater Triangle also plays host to a couple of locally famous hauntings. The first of which being the Lady of the Ledge. Catchy. Hmm. That was going to be my stripper name. But <laughs> mine. I thought it was going to be uh, Conceal Carry. <laughs> oh, wait, yeah, that's, that's, your, that's the drag queen name. Yeah, Never, yeah. Mind. Never mind. In the Freetown State Forest is a tall ledge on which people have claimed to witness a lady in white. Classic. Lady in white. Is that a song? It's red. Oh. Lady in red. Oh, yeah. I knew that. Uh, it is said that this lady left her family to meet with her boyfriend here at the ledge, but he never showed up, and that the lady responded to being stood up by committing suicide by jumping over the ledge. <laughs> Women, am yeah. I right? <laughs> Overly emotional. No, I'm, I'm just kidding, but yeah. I just think that a lo- I just think it's funny that a lot of these a little extra, t- isn't she? Yeah, about to say a lot of these uh, <laughs> a lot of similar stories. It's like. Her lover never showed up, so she committed the only logical reaction, <laughs> suicide. suicide. It's like, Jesus. <laughs> Golly. Uh, I want to be loved like that. <laughs> I don't, because that lady's probably crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Good point. Fair but point. But I, I think this is more chalked up to, because back in the day. They just need a cool story. They, back in the day, it was awfully sexist, so I think it was yeah. just like, psh, women committing suicide right. all the time. <laughs> Uh, John Brighton, a local paranormal investigator, claimed that at the ledge, he went into a daze and started crying and teetered at the ledge before his team members pulled him away. Brighton claimed that the spirit was telling him to jump. Maybe Brighton's just a huge wuss. He's getting emotional. Maybe she's just scared of fights. He's <laughs> yeah. like, oh, I can't move. Oh, God. We sound like asses, man. It's, it's, it's all, all good in fun. good It's fun. all good fun. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're a comedy podcast. Yeah. Or at least we like to think so. Yeah. We like to pretend we are. Yeah. We're funny. Uh, another famous haunting is on Route 44 near the Seekonk Rehoboth line. Yeah. And we totally pronounced it that right. Seekonk? Pronounce it. I can't even pronounce, pronounce it right. Seekonk. 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 It is said that at night, a driver might encounter a muscular man dressed in a flannel shirt. Mm. (laughs) He has red hair and a beard. He is said to either have black empty eyes or glowing eyes of various colors. 
there are stories of people picking up the spectral hitchhiker only to have him vanish from the car. Well, that was rude. Yeah. Come on, man. Other stories have that the people have driven right through him. Well, that's more rude on the people's part. Mm. If you see a person on the road, do not drive Yield. through him. Don't think, this is a ghost. I'm going to keep going. Yield to pedestrians and the paranormal. Absolutely. I break for ghosts. <laughs> I break for ghosts. Ghost on board. <laughs> These ghost stories are, uh, they sound very much like urban legends, but they might be based on true encounters. <gasps> the Taunton State Hospital is also said to be haunted. Taunton. I was going to say Taunton, <laughs> but I knew you'd correct me. <laughs> This hospital opened in 1854 as an asylum, and like all old asylums, stories of patient abuse abounded. They're, they're probably true. Let's no, be honest. No. Most of the buildings on the hospital campus were closed in 1978 due to construction flaws and rumors of abuse and neglect. There are many ghost stories associated with the hospital, which we won't cover on this episode for the sake of time. Yes. These encounters aren't particularly unique. If you have heard of any ghost encounters from haunted locations, you've pretty much heard all the stories at the Tauntaun State Hospital. Yeah, it's basically like, I saw an old man in the hall once, and then he disappeared. Yeah. So I figured He I really liked the ladies. <laughs> I figured we would, just wouldn't go through. <laughs> he was dressed in old Civil War attire. Except he had no pants. Uh, but keep in mind that there are several stories here from several different people which certainly lends to the validity of haunting claims, if nothing else. Yeah, so it could be haunted. I mean, I believe it. If anything's going to be haunted, it's going to be an old asylum, right? Right. Um, so that pretty much wraps up the strange occurrence of the Bridgewater Triangle. There's definitely more that we didn't cover, uh, but I think we have a pretty good idea of all the bizarre things that are going on there. Which So is, essentially which it's is just, everything. I don't know why, but in my head, I imagined this area... Mm -hmm. Over a swamp. A swamp? When in reality, it, the triangle is just an area of land on the map, yes, right? the swamp within is that in triangle, the triangle. Within that triangle on the map. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's not just It's not just. I've just swamp. got the vision in my head of like, you know, when you see pictures of the Bermuda Triangle, it's right. this big triangle over the water. Right. Well, That's it's not an I've actual triangle over yeah, the water. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> the geog geographically, yes. it's a triangle yeah, and area. And this isn't like there. There is a true triangle uh, with the cities we mentioned at the very beginning, but there's also weird cases uh, happening outside the triangle. Surrounding area. It's areas. not a true triangle, right? But one of the theories being that it all radiates. There's all the, this crap small. happens in this area, yes, right here. Bunch of crap. Okay. Bunch of crap. So uh, here are the theories for the triangle. Let's pick one out as we go through them. Mm -hmm. uh, which one do you think it is? Now that you know so much about the Bridgewater Triangle. Mm -hmm. um, first one. Uh, the area holds the memories from the bloody King's Phillips War, and the dark energy and strange happenings experienced within the area is the result of the land holding the negative energy from that conflict. So this is pretty much like, it was built on an old Native American burial ground. <laughs> and it's on, you know, that very cliche yes. kind of thing. But considering America is just a huge Native American. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's the first one. Um, the second one being that this place is said to be cursed by Metacomet, and the encounters are a result of this curse. So one thing that I want to point out that we covered in the series, we kind of like, uh, we white people kind of like make Native Americans like so exotic, like, oh, they're so connected with spirits and they can cast curses and their burial grounds cause hauntings. And kind of racist, kind of racist. <laughs> I mean, they're just humans like us. I mean, they're not like some weird, like, I don't know. It's just it's just weird that the dead, like, literally period. literally Doesn't have any, to be a race of people. Yeah. Any haunting you're like it just so happens that we slaughtered a bunch of them Why to does get the every land. single haunting involve a curse by a Native American person or or like a Native American burial ground? Because they're the ones that play the drums and dance. Yeah. Duh. They're obviously, you know. <laughs> I don't know. It's just something I've noticed throughout all my research of all these different things. But they do have some great folklore, so music too. Yeah, absolutely. And they got the. Okay, here's the line, and you're right on it. You're right on it. <laughs> it was the uh, the the Inya. Sa, dimwa, 
You know what that means? I have no idea what you're talking oh, about. Okay. Okay. Uh, so that's the second one, the curse. Um, the next one being the triangle is a vortex of weirdness that allows beings and energy from a different plane of existence to bleed into our reality. So this is something we talked about before, like sort of a thin place. We're just, you know, maybe a portal to a different world. And sometimes things just bleed through in and out of existence in our world. So that pretty standard stuff. Uh, pretty standard. <laughs> um, and then the last one and the most boring one is that all these incidences are isolated, not really connected in any way. And have nothing to do with the area itself. All just being coincidence. So mostly just people encountering weird stuff, not really having to do with the area or just people thinking they've seen weird stuff. Not really having to do with it. That's honestly what I was going to say. That's why I say this area is just. But there's just so many. There's so many. Right. Stuff happening in one area. It's kind of difficult to say, oh, it's not the area itself. It's it's just kind of like, you know, Tornado Alley. Right. I mean. Doesn't mean there's going to be tornadoes there. Just that's where. Right. The stuff happens. (laughs) So the one I subscribe to is that it's a vortex of weirdness. I mean, if any of this stuff happened at all, I mean, I don't believe like every single thing I hear. Um, I feel like a lot of people listening to this podcast think we believe everything, but that's not true. We just talk about everything. We like to play with the idea of it, but I myself am just like, I'm pretty skeptical, but I like to think Mm -hmm. you like to think about weird stuff. stuff Yeah. I like this stuff. It's great. But unfortunately, Darren, that is it for this episode of Snipe Hunt. And that was a good one though. There was definitely going, there was, there was a lot going on. Yes. A lot of variety for sure. There was no, you never knew what was coming (laughs) next. So we, we do apologize if it kind of felt random, but the triangle itself seems to be just that random. Yes. Very much so. Uh, please take a minute, rate and review us on iTunes or Apple podcasts or wherever else you listen to your stuff that will allow you to leave a rating. Uh, this this helps the show more than anything, and we are all too happy to read it on the air. Just like Don's earlier. Yes. Which was actually one of our most glowing reviews. Yes. Don, I want to thank you again. Yes. Please follow us on social media. We'd love to hear from you guys. We are on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, we don't do much on Twitter. Why? I don't like Twitter myself. Personally. Oh, that's right. I don't really like Twitter on there. But we are on we there. We are there. If you'd like to yeah. follow us, it will notify you every time we upload a new episode. And uh, we are, uh, all of our audio is also on YouTube. Yep. If you, uh, uh, I wouldn't recommend listening on YouTube for the simple fact that there's no video. So unless you have, you can unless see you the subs- glorious Snipe Hunt logo. <laughs> yeah. Well, un- unless you uh, you have YouTube Red or whatever, where you can actually close the. I actually have that. Lock YouTube your premium. phone and stuff. Yeah, the premium. Yeah. yeah. Then then yeah, but otherwise it's just a data destroyer. I'm sure. So. Well, I mean, if you're on Wi-Fi, not so much, but. Yeah, that's true. Like I know Michael, who we had on for the yokai episode. Yeah. Uh, he he was when he was telling all his friends about. It, he's like, oh, it's on YouTube. And I was like, just downloading that but whatever well most phones however you want to listen to it yes on. however but most phones have an easy to use yes, podcast app, and i'm pretty do. sure that they do. i'm pretty sure that the the service we use one. distributes it to pretty much yeah all uh all the all the podcast stuff is linked in some way shape or form yeah i mean it's it's all pretty easy to use um this episode is brought to you by our patreon supporters aka gary and jeremy <laughs> If you would like to support us in that way, you can go to patreon.com slash snipe hunt. And for as little as $1 a month, you can get access to topic voting and our blooper reel episodes. We aren't selling you this stuff. This is just a thank you for donating to the show, which goes towards hosting fees. And as soon as we get more Patreons, we'll probably start putting more content on the Patreon. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. There's not very much on there right now. The basic yeah. topic voting. A couple because it's literally episodes. just me and one other person. Yeah. So. But I mean, you know, and I'm whatever. here, so I don't need to hear the blooper. Yeah, I mean, here. I do, I do enjoy the blooper reels, but they're pretty good. It's good stuff. Uh, um, so check it out. We will definitely appreciate it. And, uh, if you have a topic you'd like us to do a question, comment, or if you have a story you'd like to share with us on our encounter series, Please contact us on social media or email at snipehuntpodcast at gmail.com. 
The Bridgewater Triangle is an excellent example of what some refer to as a vile vortex, an area of extremely high paranormal activity. This area in southeast Massachusetts definitely lends credence to the theory that such places exist. Full of cryptids, hauntings, UFOs, cult activity, and violent murders, it's a surprise that this triangle doesn't outshine its cousin in Bermuda. As Lauren Coleman said, I don't believe in the Bridgewater Triangle. I accept it. And with the sheer number of strange incidents, it's difficult to not believe in this area's frightening folklore. Once again, we want to thank you for listening to Snipe Hunt. Your listening has been noted and will be reported to the proper authorities. All audio used was done so under the protection of fair use. Logo design is by Ethan Rothfuss. The music used for this episode was composed by Mayu and Nature World 1986. We'll continue to search for the unexplained and we'll hopefully see you on the next hunt.